0: Uh, Today, uh, we're going to be continuing our series in Genesis chapters 15 through 50, uh, 12 through 50 actually, and we pick up in chapter 16 today. I'm going to read that passage to us, it is lengthy, uh, but we're following along in the story and today right now in, in, in this section, we're in the life of Abram and Sarai, who later become Abraham and Sarah, and we'll see again today in their story of how these Ancient uh, bedrock people of our faith <clears throat> are, aren't quite as heroic as we might have thought and how desperate they are for God's grace, a lot like us. They, they have faith, but they have a lot of doubt. And they believe enough for it to be reckoned to them as righteousness, and yet, man, they have a lot of fear. And they do some crazy stuff. <laughs> and today's another example of that. Chapter 16. <clears throat> uh, we turn and it says Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children go in to my servant it may be that i shall obtain children by her and abram listened to the voice of sarai so after abram had lived 10 years in the land of canaan sarai abram's wife took hagar the egyptian her servant and gave her to abram her husband as a wife and he went into hagar and she conceived And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you're pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahe Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called him, gave the name of his son whom Hagar bore him, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord. I, I want us to see as we begin <clears throat> and reflect on our own lives uh, about how many of our problems and decisions, poor decisions we make and sinful decisions we make are rooted in a failure to believe that God is God, first of all, that he's powerful, but second of all, that God is a God who hears us and sees us and looks after us. And that's exactly what Hagar came to know, that God is a God who hears us, Ishmael. That's the meaning of the name Ishmael. He's a God who sees us. And then she says, I have come to see in this place that You are the God who looks after me. And when we don't live with that kind of mindset that God cares for me, God not only is God and all powerful, but in spite of my circumstances, and here's the problem, right? It's often what we're going through in our life that causes us to think, God must not see me, God must not care for me, and he might not be looking after me because my life is so hard. Hagar's life was so hard. Sarai's life was so hard. But what happens is in those moments, we will either choose to lean into the reality and believe the reality that God is the one who loves us, looks after us, and cares for us, or we'll begin then to micromanage everything and control on the one hand or become incredibly passive and uninvolved on the other. And that's what we see in this story. So the first thing I want us to see is the sad part of the story about the control of Sarah, or rather, Sarah's hyper-control of everything. Anybody in here struggle with being too controlling? I, I don't like the word freak, so we're not going to say that, but like, anybody struggle with control? Raise your hands if you struggle with control. I, I struggle with control, certainly. And, and it's, it's that thing, if we're not careful, it can get us into great trouble, so let's turn back to Genesis 15 in our mind. We just studied it last week, where God did some amazing things. In chapter 15 of, of Genesis, God tells Abram, listen, because he's complaining and saying things like, uh, I, if I have a child, it's going to be, you know, uh, right now, if I die, my heir is going to be my own servant. And, and then God says, no, your heir is going to be your very own son, And all the biblical commentators agree that by saying your very own son, he means through your very own wife, Sarai. You don't have to be weird about this and manipulate it and control it and do strange things. Uh, I I know the circumstances don't seem like it, but because you're old, (laughs) Abram, and he really is very old, and Sarai is also old, and she's barren. So I get it. Circumstances are tough, but... He tells him directly in Genesis 15, uh, you're going to have an heir. and It'll be your very own son through your very own wife. And then, of course, they go on to do this unbelievable covenant where God says to him, if I fail to keep my promise, may my blood be spilt. But then he also is saying by virtue of the symbols, if you fail to keep the promise, may my blood be spilt, not yours. And so with this in the backdrop, this amazing promise, you're going to have a son, (laughs) we find this story. And you would think that that this beautiful picture of the gospel provided through the covenant that God made with Abram would have been this great resource and this great power for him to not do stupid stuff uh, and fall into fear and dumb things, but it wasn't enough for him. Because the very next, we just swoop over to the next chapter, and the first thing it says, very poetically, the narrator writes, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. (laughs) And we know that. That's been going on in this story a lot, and it's saying it again in reference to what is about to happen. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Dun, 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 another one of those moments in the story. This is what's about to happen. Every single person in every single time in every single place in every single culture lives with all these interior expectations and exterior expectations and desires and pressures. Uh... In the ancient Near East, thousands of years ago, they had it, and we have them. These things that are inside of us that we feel, I must have, I want them, I need them, and if I don't get them, uh, I'm not going to have a life. There are these interior desires and goals and pressures that we all experience, but there's also exterior goals and desires and pressures that we all feel. And we kind of think that we're going to evolve out of this or so that, you know, humankind is going to get to a place where we're, we're not whipped around like this so much. But more than ever, I think we live with all these exterior pressures and concerns because of social media. We're constantly being told inadvertently through social media and just the images that we're seeing that I don't look good enough. I'm not in shape. I, I and not educated. My kids must be really stupid and, and not very, uh, you know, whatever, considering all the things your kids are doing on social media. I can't believe how remarkable all, my, all these other children are, right? <laughs> There's all this internal pressure. There's all these external pressures saying you must have fill in the blank to have a life, to have a good life, to be blessed, for things to be right. Right. Sarai is barren, and she has internal pressures about that. She's infertile. She's been infertile. She's really old. And at this point, most people would be like, you know, I'm not going to have a kid. But God keeps promising. No, you're, you really are. In this culture, though, a woman's sense of worth was linked to her ability to have children, and in particular, to produce what? A male heir, a son daughters were okay, but you needed a male to pass on on the family name. And so Sarai believes she has to have a child in order to be fulfilled. But God had just promised and covenanted that this was going to happen. And she had a choice between trusting in God's word, in God's promise, in God's way of doing things, His will for her life, and not and there she was in this bind. Sarai is barren, but it says right there in the next verse, she had this servant named Hagar. Hagar's young. Hagar, Hagar's fertile, and she's right here. And God's faithfulness seems so far away. It says that they'd been living in Canaan 10 years. So it's just this promise and the lack of fulfillment of this promise keeps going on. And on and on, and it's just becoming too much for Sarai. Sarai was afraid, of course, of not getting what she wanted. And she had to have it, and she needed it now. So verse 2. So Sarai said to Abram, behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And interestingly, that's the same phrase There's a lot of commonality between this story, actually, and Adam and Eve. There's a ton. This is the same phrase where it says, and Abram, or excuse me, Adam listened to the voice of of Eve. Notice also, like Adam and Eve, Sarai blames God, saying, the Lord has kept this good thing from me. The Lord has prevented me. And so here's what we're going to do. It's his fault. God is preventing it. He promised, but he's not doing anything about it. You will go into Hagar, and I will obtain through, here, or through her a child. And the word obtain here means to build. I'm going to build a family through Hagar and not on God's promise. Now, using a servant to produce an heir was practiced in the ancient Near East. And so this was a common thing that was going on in that culture, but... For this couple in particular, they are living with a particular, very special promise to them that this was going to happen, and they're also going against God's will of of obtaining another wife. Sarai's fear, desperation, and dare we say idolatry drove her to control the situation rather than wait on God. And if you think about it, I think we can all relate to this. Let's go into the next point in the story. The control of, of Sarai and the oppression of Hagar. So Hagar offered Abram, uh, excuse me, and so Aga, uh, Sarai offered Hagar to Abram as a wife, and she does conceive a child. But I want us to see, once again, that um, the Bible is not prescribing slavery here. And it's not prescribing polygamy here. Uh, It's describing polygamy in, say, slavery. It's not saying this is a great thing to do. In fact, will you please see how these examples in this story are being lifted up as an example of folly and a lack of wisdom? Because immediately after the plan comes to fruition, the narrator says, Look at how utterly messed up this is. And not, not, not those words, but that's, that's what's going on. How could Sarai build a family through another woman against her own will and go against God's promise and expect this to go well? But she does. And of course, when this whole plan comes to fruition, she finally gets what she wants. But look what happens. It says, Hagar looked at Sarai with contempt Of course she did. (laughs) Who wouldn't? She was taken from her family in Egypt. Uh, She's forced to marry Abram, forced to conceive this child, carrying a child against her will, and here she is. um, And all these things are happening to her. How how, How could she have anything but contempt? And this all happened. Because of Sarai's controlling nature. Because she had to have what she wanted when she wanted it. And so in the end, Hagar hates Sarai. Sarai hates Hagar and is jealous. And instead of humbly repenting to the Lord and to Hagar and to Abram, uh, she lets Abram have it. She blames God and then she blames Abram. It says in 16.5, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. This is your fault. I gave my servant to you to embrace, and when she saw, she conceived. Now she has content for me. And and she has the audacity to blame Abram in this moment. This is wrong. It's it's all your fault. But who came up with this (laughs) plan? She even appeals to God, saying that God will judge between the two of them. God, God is going to show you, Abram, the wrong you've done here. And he has done wrong, by the way. But it's not what she's saying, and it is. The next thing I want us to see is the passivity of Abram, because that's his, this is the major wrong he does. He's passive. Just as Eve blamed the serpent, uh, Sarai blames God and Abram. Uh, just as Adam said nothing and did nothing to the serpent as he's lying, lie after lie, to his wife Eve and is tempting her into eating the fruit. Uh, You've got Abram just standing by doing nothing. And so Abram says, you know, he, he could have stopped this whole plan by saying, Sarah, come on, uh, God has given us a promise. We can live into that promise. He could have preached the gospel to her and saying, God is so good. Be patient, my love. I love you. I know this is hard. I'll walk with you through this. But we can't take matters into our own hands like this. We can't do this. If she insisted, he could have refused and saying, I won't do this thing to Hagar or to you or to God. I'm not going to do it. But he didn't. He was passive and just went right along. This whole thing is a mess, and it all begins with people choosing to not believe the clear promise of God and the clear instructions of the word of God. And so Sarai asserts control over the situation, and Abram chooses to do nothing. 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 Abram, after having just heard the very voice of God, he does nothing, and so he falls into great sin. He does nothing. He doesn't shepherd his wife's heart. He doesn't protect A- uh, Hagar, and he doesn't protect Hagar later when she says, she's dealing, you know, she's she has contempt for me, and he could have said, of course she does. After all she's been through, what do you expect? But instead, no, he says, What is this to me? She's not mine. She's yours. She's your servant. Do whatever you want to her. In essence, making Hagar a single mom and then submitting her to all kinds of abuse. So here we are. (laughs) Uh, Sarai controlling everything and getting into all kinds of trouble and, and Abram being utterly passive Washing his hands of responsibility and doing nothing. And we see these polar opposite problems, but flowing from the same place, which is a failure to believe that you are living under the one who sees you and hears you and looks after you. A failure to believe the word of God, that if I trust God's word, his promise, right, that my life will lead to flourishing and I will honor God instead instead they ignore the clear word of god and they take matters into their own hands and you see the mess that they get into so one question i've got is thinking about this story and many others like it in the bible like what are the what is the purpose of this story <laughs> and others like it are these morality tales fables you know if so they don't make a lot of sense do they like be like Abram. Be like Sarai. <laughs> no. No, the biblical story is not a story of look how faithful the people of God were. Uh, instead, it is a story of look how faithful the living God is to his people, even when they're unfaithful. You do see character development. We're going to see Abram and Sarai grow up, we're going to see them become Abraham and Sarah. But you, you see in this, these. Ancient fathers and mothers of our faith, the example is not like, hey, be like David. Hey, be like Abram. Hey, be like Sarai. Instead, it's like, no, be like the living God who shows his faithfulness to these rebellious people. God is the hero of the story. Jesus is always the hero of the story. It's not, it's not a morality tale of saying, like, be like this person. If there's anyone to be like in this story, it's the unlikely, unlikely character, Hagar, which we'll get to in a minute. So I want to ask us all a question, and it's, it's a hard one, but is there an area of your life right now where you're trying to control something or someone in ways that are just out of your control? Are you trying to control something right now that is out of your control? And, and you know, the things that you can manage and should manage, you should. I mean, we have all kinds of responsibilities, right? Right. But there's these other things, all these ways in which you're, they're just out of your control. When you have children, for example, yeah, you have a responsibility to not be passive uh, but to be active in their life, both positively providing a positive environment, loving and nurturing and speaking words of, of truth in their life and love, but also discipline, uh, having boundaries and, and offering discipline in the home, a loving, gracious discipline, but still uh, but being actively involved. But what you'll find is, and I don't know exa- the exact age, you can't control your children. You can shepherd them. You can guide them. You can lead them. You can uh, point them in the right direction. But I'm telling you, at least by the time that they get a driver's license, <laughs> you're no longer in control. And it just becomes, it's, it's even more so later. You don't control anyone. In fact, if you notice, you're really not even in control of yourself. And so we think we can control other people, but we can't. And when we try, oftentimes the results are devastating. Are you trying to manage or control something that is not yours to control? You can't control people. You can't control a lot of the circumstances in your life either. You can do your best to be responsible, but after that, you're going to either trust God or you're not. Another question. On the one hand, Sarai is controlling, but on the other hand, Abram, Abram was totally passive. Are you being too passive in some area of your life where you need to take responsibility? Where you need to protect someone? Where you need to be involved? Uh, you know, Abram is adding to the fatherless epidemic that they may have had during that time. I think it's always been an epidemic, by the way. We have an epidemic of fatherlessness in the world, and especially in the United States. Either fatherlessness literally, like not around at all, or fatherlessness by being present but not active. Physically there, but not emotionally or spiritually or taking initiative. Is this a word of warning to you? Um, That passivity is also equally a problem. Now let's close with this. We have a... We have a passive uh, Abram, we have a controlling Sarai, we have an abused Hagar, but we have a God who sees and hears. The God who sees and hears. Abram tells Sarai, do with Hagar whatever you want. And she treats her horribly, and of course, Hagar flees. Hagar is a slave in a foreign land. She is now pregnant, vulnerable, and alone. Her marriage is a sham and she's now a single mom and has no one to help. She has to feel unseen, unheard. No one cares for me. My mistress that I was stolen from my people for and taken away, and now I'm serving this woman, and she's subjecting me to all this abuse. Does anyone see me? Does anyone care about my plight? The Lord cares. And it says that the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. where, And that's a common theme in the Bible. And he said to her, where have you come from and where are you going? And on the one hand, the angel calls Hagar to return to this horrible situation. But on the other hand, he offers amazing promises of blessing to her. And I want to stop again. The moral of this story is not that abuse victims should return to their abuser, okay? This is a very specific example that God is calling her to, but God is not calling generally abuse victims to return to their abusers. That's, that's not what's going on here. Instead, um, this is a very particular promise. Annamede Harris, writing in the Gospel Coalition, said this, uh, directing her t- t- to return to Sarah, the angel ensured protection and pro- provision for Hagar and her baby, Hagar received comfort and a promise. God would protect and bless her son and multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered in the multitudes. Now, what does that sound like? Where have we heard a promise like that? To Abram. God is making a magnificent promise to this woman. You, too, will be the blessing and a a mother of a huge nation. That child will be called Ishmael. And you know what Ishmael means? It means, and I just said it earlier, the God who hears us. So every time she called her boy to dinner, she'd be reminded, the Lord heard me in my affliction and oppression. Amen? Every time she said to her son, Ishmael, she would say, the Lord heard me. The Lord heard me in my affliction. The Lord hears me in my oppression. The Lord saw me. And the Lord looked after me, even in the worst things in my life. God promised to bless her and make her a great nation and lift her up as a great person. Obviously, her son was going to be a difficult child and a person of great rebellion. But his face was still upon her. So by faith, she returned to this horrible situation. But how? Genesis 16, 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Friends, this is the only person in the entire Bible that names God. She had the audacity to do that. No one does does that, especially in the Old Testament. We're talking about Adonai, Yahweh. No one has the audacity to give a name to God, but she did. And it's such a beautiful name. God is the one who sees me. Because look, she says, right here in this horrible place, I came to understand that God looks after me. She'd probably heard all the stories from Abram. She's living in the home. She's right there with Sarai every day. And she's heard these promises that God has made to Abram and to Sarah, these cruel people. And she's got to be saying, God's not caring for me. And then all of a sudden she realized, he loves me. He's for me. He hears me. He sees me. He looks after me. Hagar is the only person in the Bible who names God. And what a beautiful name. She came to believe that God sees her. What faith. She's no longer just a slave woman. The Lord has shown her that she has great worth. That she's a daughter of the living God. And her baby is born. They name her him, God Will Hear. And she sees this. And we must see it too. This is the key, friends. This is the key. We either live life through the lens, and this is so hard because of life circumstances, believing in spite of the fact that maybe you're a single mom and and the husband is nowhere to be found, in spite of the fact that you may be a a victim of abuse, in spite of the fact that you may have gone through all these horrible things, in in spite of the fact, 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 Will you believe that also what's true of you is that God hears you and sees you and the eye is, his eye is not only on the sparrow, he's on, on your situation. And he cares for you and, and he loves you. And I know we all asked, "And why? And Abram and Sarah, I certainly were asking why. Why, have, why is this promise taking so long? And you can ask that question, but I know this. God sees you, God looks after you, God cares for you, and he will bring all of his promises to fruition someday. Perhaps not in this life. I wish it were. Being a prosperity preacher is so much more fun if it were true, but it's not. It sells books, it packs houses, Uh, people want to hear it, it's wonderful to hear that you're going to get all of your wildest dreams are going to come true in this life, and you're going to become fabulously wealthy, and everything's going to go right for you. But that's just not most people's reality, is it? And so at the end of the day, what we not need to hear is not that, but there is a coming kingdom. There is a coming shalom that's coming that will be faithfully honored and God's going to redeem and restore all things. Hallelujah. And we need to believe that, that he's the God who sees. He's the God who hears. He's the God that looks after me and knows me, even in my affliction, even if the affliction is not removed in this life. And I hate that. I hate it. I visited with a a young woman who is dying in, in our congregation this just this week again. And she's been in a place where she's begging the Lord to take her. And not not because she lacks faith, but because she's suffering so much. And I would literally beg you to join me in prayer. As I remember her, I cry out, Lord, how long? Please take this sister home. Because it's too much. It's it's so much pain and suffering. Would you join me in praying for that? But she also believes that God sees her and knows her and loves her. And and every time I spend time with her in hospice or the hospital or in her home, I walk away feeling strengthened in my faith because of how much she knows and believes that to be true. Are you tired of waiting on God to provide you with something or someone? I am at times. Are you tired of waiting on God to provide you with someone or something? Are you tempted to take control and do what just feels right to you in that moment? Of course you do. This is what we, this is what we do every time we sin. God, for example, I'm going to give us two examples, then we'll stop today. God, for example, has made us embodied creatures and, and created us for physical intimacy. What a gift God has given us. It's a wonderful gift. He's revealed that this beautiful expression of physical intimacy is meant to be expressed in marriage between a man and a woman. But we live in a culture that believes it is the betrayal of the very self to deny oneself any desire that you may have sexually. Our culture sees sexuality as a commodity that should be spent, like, however we want. But God promises that it's way more than that, much, much more. And that there is a way to flourish in this good gift, but there's also a way to not only rebel against God, but be hurt by it. It's folly to ignore God's will regarding this. And we can choose to believe the God who sees and hears and cares for us and be patient and wait for him to provide. Or we can take control and just get what we want, when we want, and where we want it. And it's never been more available than now with pornography on the internet. It's never been more available to just take control and not believe the promise of God and not to believe his clear warnings. How many emotional scars do we need to endure before we believe this? How many emotional scars do we have to endure? How many emotional scars do we have to inflict on others before we believe this is true? How addicted do we have to become before we see the trap and the snare of all of this? One more example. God created the material world and called it good. He did. God is not against the material world. God is not against stuff. But God also promises that there are greater treasures than this material world. And that that we are to use the material blessing that we have. And I hope you are materially blessed. And if you are, though, you have a responsibility to bless others. And and there's a great joy in blessing others. And there's very little joy, in just continually blessing yourself. We choose between trusting in the God who sees us and loves us and provides for us or taking control and using money and material things however we might like instead of contentment. We always want more, (laughs) right? Think of the freedom there is when we live within our means. Think of the freedom there is when uh, we don't max out our credit cards and live with this. This weight. How many toys do you have to buy? And how many upgrades in life do you need to see that they don't work? They don't fill us. It's never enough. It's just never, ever enough. But one more guitar, it'll do it. I just know it. Just one more. (laughs) At this point, Sarai and Abram are a people of promise, and yet they're acting like slaves. Hagar was a slave who came to know she was a person of the promise and she acted accordingly. Thank God for Hagar. Abram and Sarai are seen and heard by the living God and yet are acting like they're unseen and unheard. And Hagar beautifully came to know the God who sees her and knows her and who looks after her. And she was strengthened by that. So much so that she went back. Now, In Matthew 26, it says this. And going a little further, he fell on his face, Jesus, and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Your will be done. So as Jesus began his passion and his march towards the cross, he wrestled with God in prayer and cried out, Father, is there any other way to redeem the world? And the father in his silence is saying, no, this is how we're going to redeem the promise that I made to Abram thousands of years earlier. You must go. This cup will not pass from you. Jesus then set his face towards the cross and Jesus was resting in the promise that God would redeem the world and be faithful to the covenant God made with Abraham through his very cross thank you for jesus who always looked to the promises of god and walked in the will of god and the word of god let's pray we just sang about it earlier lord but we do thank you for your your heart and in the old testament people did come to know that you're the god who sees and the god who hears But in Jesus, we see so clearly that you are a God who sees and hears and cares and looks after us. In Jesus, we see the full measure of of who you are, Lord, and we're so thankful for Jesus. And help us to be strengthened by the love of Jesus so that we are not filled with control or passivity, but that we can be free to be your sons and daughters. We pray this in Christ's precious name, amen.